are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. First reading, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And our second reading coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18-25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God is pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Thank you, Aaron, for reading. Well, we're in the final weeks of our study of God's attributes. What is God like? And today we're talking about wisdom. But when was the last time that you heard anything about wisdom? The word almost sounds obsolete except if they're talking about taking out your back molars. One of our young adults, I was talking with him earlier this week, he had his wisdom teeth out. But wisdom for wisdom's sake is not a common talking point. It almost sounds quaint or antiquated to our modern ear. Kids are going back to school, we're sending them back to get an education, to make friends, to play sports, to do extracurriculars, but who's talking about wisdom? Some of us are out of school. We're in the working world, attending meetings, on Zoom calls, calling customers or clients, writing bids, signing grants, Josh Klein out there, applying your trade, whatever your work area is, teachers, lesson planning. But who has wisdom on their job description? At the same time, you might be tending the home front. So you're working and you're paying bills, you're doing last yard projects for the season, you're juggling schedules, you're chasing kids. Who's got time for wisdom? And others of us are beyond those years and into retirement, but still, even then, even there, who is talking about wisdom? Well, we might not be, but God is. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. And though for us it might be a scarce commodity, what great need you and I have 
for wisdom. So let's talk about wisdom. First, some definitions. The first thing we have to realize is before we get to talking about our own wisdom, we've got to talk about God's wisdom, His attribute, His quality of character. And so here's this first definition. The wisdom of God is not that He knows all things, though He does, but that He knows the best way to do all things. And note the distinction. God's wisdom doesn't mean that He's like this ultimate encyclopedia who knows everything about everything. He does that too. That's his omniscience, that he is all-knowing. But wisdom gets at the best way to go about something. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. And with that in mind, let's now make our definition more personal. The wisdom of God means that his goals for us are best, and he knows the best way to get there. And I was thinking any one of us could pull out our phone and pull up an address. The question is, do you know why you're going where you're going and the best way to get there? Wisdom isn't cognitive or intellectual or factual. It's moral. When I think of wisdom, I think of like the street smarts of the spiritual life. One commentator said, wisdom is knowing how to live God's way in God's world. So you could have a PhD and you could have not a clue about wisdom. Maybe you had some professors like that. (laughs) Or you could have barely gotten yourself to high school graduation and yet grow up to be rich in wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live God's way in God's world. And that's why Solomon put together the book of Proverbs, where we first read from. When he became king over Israel, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, What do you need? What would you ask for? And Solomon said, More than anything, Lord, I need wisdom, a discerning heart, the ability to lead, to distinguish right from wrong. And the Lord was pleased with his request. Of all the things he could have asked for, he asked for that. And he granted that request. And there was no other king like Solomon. No one was his equal in wisdom, in success. And during his reign, God inspired him to write these Proverbs. There's 31 of them, so you could read a chapter a day for a month and make your way through the book. And we picked up our reading in chapter 2, where Solomon says to his reader, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And I want to just pause. We have an unfinished sentence, but I want to point out a couple of things we learn. First is that wisdom can be rejected. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Wisdom is not a slam dunk. It's not automatic. It is not acquired by osmosis. It must be received and accepted. And then look at these verbs that accompany it. Accepted, stored up, turning, applying. There is a diligence, a purposeful seeking about wisdom. If you've ever been in a deer stand in the fall, all the leaves are down, and you've got a squirrel down on the forest floor. One squirrel. You think there's a whole herd of deer coming through the forest. They're scouring for acorns and nuts and they're working on their nests. They're busy about it. 
And then back to where this sentence is going, it's the first half of a conditional statement. It's an if-then statement. If you accept my words, if you store up my commands, and then the ensuing verses, if you call out for insight, if you search for it like silver, and then here we go, we get to it in verse 5, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, if you do this, then you'll get wisdom. And the whole proposition sounds a lot like another verse in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not fear like roller coaster fear, but reverence fear. To stand in the presence of an awesome God, to acknowledge who He is, That's where wisdom begins. And why? Well, verse 6 nails it. It answers the question. Verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. If you're here in Minnesota and you want to go visit the source of the Mississippi, where do you go? You go to Itasca. You don't go to Kansas. You don't go to Quebec or Kentucky, all nice places. But if you want to go to the source, you've got to go to Itasca. There is one place to go. And if you want wisdom, there is one place to go. And that is to God. But you know what can happen? I'll speak from experience here. Sometimes what we really want is not wisdom. We want our own way. But then to take that to God and to ask Him to bless it as if it's His wisdom. You can do this with a relationship. You can do it with a job, a college choice, a move, an investment. It can all be driven by me or you and then with a dollop of prayer on top. But that doesn't make it wisdom. Wisdom comes from and is directed by God. And if I really believe that His plans for me are best, think about where you're at in life right now, your teens or your 30s, your 60s. If I really believe that God knows what is best for my life and that He knows the best way to get me there, then my faith will rise to meet that and wisdom will follow. Let's go to the New Testament. I've got to keep it short for Liana. I think one of the reasons wisdom can be increasingly hard to find is that it is so counterintuitive and countercultural. God just does things that are so different than the way the world operates. And exhibit A is the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. And so we should not be surprised that when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, when you get to share the gospel, that some people will look at you and respond as if you have just said the craziest or the dumbest thing that they have ever heard. How could somebody believe that? And they won't accept it. They'll call it anti-intellectual or anti-science. You might get called judgmental. They might ignore it. They might make a mockery of it. And you shouldn't be surprised. And here's my favorite part. Nor should you take offense. That's the Jesus way. But you just get to love on that person and pray for them behind the scenes 
And who knows, but that one day, that person might also believe the gospel that they have heretofore rejected. And that brings us to Paul, right? The Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Corinthian church. Those Corinthian believers living in a pagan society, probably, when I think of these biblical cities, Corinth is like where people lived and they would check the box that says spiritual but not religious. That was like their equivalent. They're people who worked hard and they partied harder. Life was good in Corinth. And Paul writes to the Jesus followers in that city, a.k.a. the church, and he says, here's our verse, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now when you read that, hear the tone, because Paul is not saying this in a self-righteous, condemning kind of way. He's not saying it with his nose in the air, holier than thou. Remember, it wasn't so long before this that he had considered the cross to be absolute foolishness. Now what he's saying is that God's ways and the way of the cross is so counter to the world that some people will call it foolish. They will. Now some will receive the gospel, even some like him who were completely opposed to it, but there will be others who flat out reject it. Paul says in Galatians, the cross is an offense. Peter says, it's a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, wow, it's the power of God. Paul sketches this out for the Corinthians in the next verses, 22 to 24. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's crazy, a a crucified Savior. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, anybody, he's saying, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so please hear me this morning that if you are saying, yes, I need wisdom. I told my wife how silly I felt coming to preach on wisdom. I need wisdom. And if you need wisdom this morning, the first thing that you actually need is to know Christ. You have to go to the source. And the map points us to one place. It is to Jesus dying for us on the cross. The wisdom of God. No human being could concoct such a thing. And that's the point of the final verse, 25a. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Now God has no foolishness about him whatsoever. This is a literary device, a way of saying that the wisest human being cannot even get close to the wisdom of God. They're two different leagues. They don't even compare. And the word that's used in the New Testament for wisdom is the word Sophia. If you or somebody you know happen to be named Sophia, then you are named after a very good thing, the wisdom of God. And once you know it, just as if it was for today with our guests here, I was reading about another person named after wisdom. His name was Yaroslav the Wise. He was the Grand Prince of Kiev a thousand years ago, 1016 to 1054. Yaroslav was not a saint, 
if you read the history. But he was called the wise because he sought so many good things for his people. He built the St. Sophia Cathedral. He beautified Kiev in many ways, built the golden gates at the fortress. He founded the library. He started a school. He built two monasteries. He pursued things of faith. He encouraged written translations and literature. And he compiled the first book of laws for his people called the Pravda Yaroslava. He was wise. We need more Sophias and Yaroslavs in our time. So how about we ask the question, how can I grow in wisdom this school year? And maybe you're not in school. I think the question is still relevant. We've all got a new season ahead of us. How can I grow in wisdom this year? Living God's way in God's world. As unfamiliar as the word wisdom is in our everyday world, it also feels kind of mysterious. It's a mysterious-sounding word, sort of elusive. And so maybe we think that the answer to this question, well, how can I grow in wisdom, must be equally mysterious and elusive. But it's surprisingly simple if we go back to the source. And I want to take you to one more reading, James 1. Mark it for later. You've got to go back and see this. James chapter 1. James is a very practically minded book in the New Testament. I read James for the first time, I remember. I was 12. And it just hit home. So middle schoolers, it gives you so much good practical wisdom. That's what we find in James. And James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, and all the hands go up, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Can it be that simple, my brothers and sisters? Yes. God says so. If any of you lacks wisdom, the implication is that we all do. This is an open invitation to just come and ask for it. Ask God. And look what happens. He gives generously to His children. Remember, He did at the cross. He'll do the same when it comes to wisdom. He's not looking to scrutinize you. He's not looking to go over your eligibility that might be based on how many past dumb mistakes you made. He took care of that with grace. For His beloved in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And James says, no fault finding. He will give you wisdom. Just ask your Heavenly Father for it. And so how am I going to grow in wisdom this year? Step one. Ask the Lord for wisdom. And how does that go? You know, so what's the formula? What kind of magic words? Here's how it goes. Something like this. Dear Lord, I need wisdom. Could you please give me wisdom? Can it be that simple? Yes. And then the second thing, pick up your Bible and seek wisdom in His Word. The primary way that God directs His children in wisdom is by reading and obeying His Word. 
Jesus ends the whole Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon in the Bible, and he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. A trio of volunteers who will remain unnamed, but you could check our social media post of the event, were serving in the office packing backpacks on Thursday. We had so much fun working together and getting those backpacks ready. And I was sitting at my desk and I was trying not to eavesdrop, but the door was open and they started talking about Bible reading and my ears perked up. And one of them says, I'm just about finished with the New Testament. That was my summer reading goal. And I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but she said, I've just got revelation left and I don't quite know what to think. So if that was you, here's an article on Revelation that I pulled for you. You can get it after worship. I'm not making eye contact. And another one around the table said, oh, that's so good. You know, I've been reading in my chronological Bible. And person to person, they're going around the table and they're just encouraging each other and they're talking about this as if it is as natural as the state fair or a summer vacation. And it was music to my ears. I just floated home after work that day. They're seeking wisdom. They've gone to the source. In what ways do you need wisdom right now? And if we had more time, we'd talk about collectively, as a church, as a country, the church in Ukraine. How does it need wisdom right now? But the examples I'll bring are really about you personally. How do you need wisdom? Maybe you're facing some difficult things at work. You feel like you're in and it's two sizes too big for you. And you can't make heads or tails of it. You need wisdom. Maybe you're about to go back to school and new grade, new worries on your mind as you head back. You need wisdom. Maybe you're a young adult. You're in... Your 20s, you know, high school's behind you, maybe you finished college, but you're really not sure what to do next. You need wisdom. Maybe you're navigating something in a relationship. You're trying to make it work. You are at your wit's end. Maybe you're walking with a child through a difficult season of life, and you have given it everything And you need wisdom. Who doesn't need wisdom here? I'm in. I need wisdom. Our worship team is going to come up. Can I lead us in prayer? Let's put this into practice, very simply. Lord, we come as you have directed us. We do need wisdom. And we recognize that wisdom comes only from you. So Lord, we come amidst complex problems and worries. And we ask simply and humbly in the name of Jesus for your wisdom. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewhychurch.org.